This Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, is supported by Salesforce. We've had the privilege of hearing from an incredible range of women again this season. These women give us their time and their wisdom, and I'm always so taken by their authenticity and openness in sharing their views with us. In this final episode of the season, and our final wrap-up and episode for 2021, we go back and hear from our guests again. We've been talking about leading for the next decade, and there is no question in my mind that women have so much to offer in this space. The leave policies, the focus on diversity and inclusion, the importance of lifting women up and supporting each other, resilience, self-confidence, the list goes on. So what a great way to finish the year. A year that has been hard for so many people. A year where we once again felt the effects of COVID. Let's hear from our fabulous guests on the advice they have for us on how we can lead for the future. Our first guest of the season was Nicole Liu, the founder of Kin Fertility. Nicole was clear that we don't have to know everything to do our jobs well. We just need to surround ourselves with great people and create an environment where they can bring their authentic selves to work every day. I think a lot of people love to follow their gut. I like to call it follow your energy. You spend so much time at work, probably sometimes more than you spend with your family. And so you kind of want to fall in love with it, not in like a totally obsessive way, but you want to make sure you love it. And if you're not energized at work, that's a lot of your life that you're not going to have heaps of energy for life. And so, yeah, just make sure that you're following that and not just doing everything by the book. It's really exhausting not being yourself for like however many hours of a day that you work. And so I like, I don't know how to not bring myself to be me. Like, I don't know how to stop myself from being emotional. I think it is really exhausting to try and do that. And so I, I've never really tried probably out of what laziness, um, not strong professionalism, but I think I've always really valued building really strong relationships with everyone I meet, whether that's going to be my friend, my colleague, my investor. And I think that's probably really important in wanting to have fun at work and being happy and motivated at work. You want to be around people who care about you as a person, not just like you as a business um, or you as a leader or you as a colleague. I want to create these connections because that ultimately makes life richer. And I think that transparency, vulnerability, (laughs) emotional response, whether it's high or low, that ultimately helps like build that connection. I did not think I was the right person necessarily to build a health tech company. But I think what I realized early on was that I didn't actually have to be. If you can bring in the team to help guide the insights, the decisions you make and the execution that you do, you don't have to be the expert. You just have to make sure you lead the vision and pull everything together. I almost feel like sometimes I'm air traffic controller more than anything else. I don't have like crazy insights. I have an insight almost like based on the patient. And so, yeah, I realized really early on, I was like, okay, let's bring on medical advisor ASAP. Let's bring on doctors and let's bring on people who actually know how to do this. And I'll make sure that I am taking into account what the customer actually wants, what the patient actually wants. Helen Haynes, independent MP and federal member for Indi, continued the conversation on the need to surround yourself with excellence. She told us to face our fears, surround ourselves with great people and ensure that we learn from them. 
I just think it's so important to know that you don't have to be a subject area expert in everything to be a champion for it. What you need is those experts to support you and help you. And that's exactly been my experience with prosecuting uh, the need for a Federal Integrity Commission. And, you know, I'm a very different person to what I was two years ago in terms of my knowledge on that now. And I've got them to thank for that and so many other people to thank for that. They've really given me that support and expertise and knowledge that I needed. And I know they're there at the end of the phone. And, and, you know, I said that to these young people, find those people to help you and they will. They will be delighted to help you if you're trying to champion a cause that they're passionate about. I often say uh, being scared is no excuse not to do it. You know, you, you need to face your fear and then find the help you need to make it happen. So really acknowledging that vulnerability, actually taking seriously those anxieties that you have, taking seriously that little voice of doubt and then saying, well, how do I fix the doubt? How do I get that team around me that's going to help me to get there? Absolutely you do. Shelley Cable, the CEO of Generation One at the Mindaroo Foundation at the age of 24, surprised us all. She continued to talk about surrounding yourself with great people, but she also reminded us that her strength comes from her ancestors. A First Nations woman, she draws strength from her family, her friends and those who have confidence in her. I feel so privileged to have had my family instill such confidence in me that if someone stands in my way or says, no, I don't think you're ready to to be a manager or I don't think you're ready to do the company director's course, I always just think, oh, I'll show you, like, who are you to get in my way? You know, my family has taught me that I can do anything and I truly believe that. And so when I notice people who just get in the way, sometimes there is that inner confidence to say, if I can't become a manager, I'll become a CEO instead. (laughs) Or, you know, if I'm not ready to do the company director's course, let me win a scholarship to do it and then let me take a double-page spread as a feature in the company director's magazine. We, as, as women, we are strong. Like, we can overcome all of those things. And who are we not to overcome? become those things when you think about the giants on whose shoulders we stand and the ancestors that we have and how our family raised us like how dare we you know let barriers consume us and doubts consume us we we owe our families more than that. Mel Thomas is a remarkable woman and the founder of Key Up. She's channeled her very difficult childhood and youth into supporting women and men who are dealing with domestic violence. She talked to us about why our experiences don't need to limit us. I think there's a great misconception that people that suffer trauma or hardship are weak. I actually have an incredible sense of intuition and street smarts that got me through that time. But also I looked at my mum, right, who escaped an incredibly traumatic experience with her children. Um, She rebuilt her life. And I remember thinking, she's strong, I'm strong. And it didn't define me, although it kind of did. You know, I was embarrassed and I was ashamed about it. I remember going into, you know, the next stage of my life in my 20s, just being very vague about my childhood. And it wasn't until I had my daughter that I sort of looked around and I thought, oh, my God, you know, what must have been going on for my parents then? And look what's happening now. And I just couldn't look away. I didn't know what I was doing. And I spent more time on my backside than I did upright. And I went three-hour classes, three times a week, and I absolutely loved it. I learned all the things that have been missing in my life, accountability, like a real inner self-strength and self-worth was growing. I felt respect for myself. I felt respect for others. But mostly 
I felt a sense of belonging, which I hadn't realized was missing until I had it. So there was this, you know, young woman who walked in and like a fighter, and I feel like I came out like a warrior. Lisa Jackson Pulver is a proud Aboriginal woman and the Deputy Vice Chancellor Indigenous at the University of Sydney. She continued that narrative and focused on dreaming big and putting one foot ahead of the other. But I just like people to recognise that not all of us in these esteemed positions are people that have, have come through a regular path. Now, actually, I don't really know what a regular path is anymore. The way I look at it is that I survived a childhood that still remains, even for me, fairly unspeakable. And I survived it. And one of the reasons why I survived it is because I was able to envisage a different future. And I had fantasies about my future. I had fantasies that if I were to live, if I were to survive this, I always knew that I'm not alone. I always knew that there are others in circumstances like mine. And I always knew that there were others that weren't in as good a circumstance as mine. I didn't have an aspiration as such. What I did have was an ability to put one foot after the other and to do something. And I recognised that I am not the sum of my upbringing. Madison de Rosario is no stranger to any of us who binged on the Paralympic Games while we were in lockdown. Here she speaks about the responsibility we carry when our voice is the loudest. It excites me and it also stresses me out a great deal. Um, It definitely is a responsibility that I think I take very, very seriously. I remember growing up and not having many role models that looked like me. And I remember seeing, you know, Louis Sauvage as as the only person that looked like me. And and it is entirely coincidental that I've chosen the exact same career path down to the same events that we do. And she's your coach, right? She's my coach, yeah. Um, But there weren't many people that looked like me. And I'm very aware that there still isn't that many. And so I understand the impact that you can have when that spotlight isn't shared as evenly as it should be. And so... I would love by the time I get to the end of my career, my voice being so much quieter because there's so many others in that space. And I want, you know, different opinions to mine. And I want just so much variety and authenticity in, in all those opinions and voices. And, and I think that's so much more valuable than just several loud voices. As of right now, though, unfortunately, that's not the case. There's not too many people in this space who who are listened to when they speak. And I do recognize that that is a platform that I do hold. And so that does come with a lot of responsibility because your words carry more weight than they deserve when that's the environment in which you're speaking. And that is a very big responsibility. And I, and I do take that very seriously. And I try to kind of do that as you know authentically as possible, but also as considerately as possible. I think when your words carry more weight than they should, you kind of need to be making sure you're speaking more broadly than my own experiences and what I believe. It's more you want to be reflecting your community as well as possible. So the conversations that, you know, we have outside of the spotlight are so important, more important than, you know, the moments that you do get because you want everyone to be heard and understood and felt. And I think that's so important. So yeah, it's definitely not something that I take lightly. Lisa Ines is the CEO of the Diversity Council of Australia and she lives and breathes diversity and inclusion. She reminded us all why it's so important. You're always up against it because you're always agitating for change. And so you've got to have certain attributes about your personality which you're comfortable 
with having. So you've got to be comfortable with being a little bit difficult. You've got to be comfortable with being the person at the dinner party who will take umbrage with something that might be sexist. And that's me and doesn't necessarily make me popular, but it's effective to work in this space because you are having to always be the person who's trying to point out where something might be not quite right and maybe offer a solution about how it could move in the, in the right way. My first suggestion is for them to ask the question, why? Why do we want to do this? Rather than reacting to social movements or just responding you know, from the hip to shareholder, customer, staff pressure, take a step back and say, why is it important for our organisation to have a commitment to diversity and inclusion? What is the business case for our organisation? How will we benefit? Because if you cannot articulate that, you have no hope in designing any program that will ever be successful. You won't be able to bring your stakeholders on the journey. You won't achieve any success in that. That is the absolute first step is work out what is the business reason for you to be. And if you can't think of a business reason, that's probably because you're not thinking broadly enough because there are many, many business reasons. But you've got to articulate it in a way that makes sense for your workplace because change in this space is really hard and you meet a lot of resistance and you need to be able to explain why company X has a focus now on this particular aspect. And if your only answer is, well, we just think because everyone else is or it's the right thing to do or we're getting regulatory pressure to do it, what I'm saying is go deeper than that and try and actually work out how will this add value to your business. And if you spend enough time doing that, that's the first step. Lee Sales and Annabelle Crabb made us all laugh with their friendship antics and their dry wit. They reminded us how important it is to work with people you respect and trust. I just think about this all the time at the moment, particularly after the last couple of years that we've had where, you know, for me, I've had a bunch of projects on and have felt very stressed a lot of the time, what with trying to, you know, work from home and whatever. The joy of having somebody with a sense of humour that you work with is just, oh. it's you know, you know how sometimes you wake up and you're doing your job and you think, why aren't I enjoying this? And sometimes it's because you don't have someone that you're working with that you can just have a few gags with. And that honestly is like the mental health super pellet, you know, of Could our age. So I know how stressful Lee's job is, but like I also know that it can just take one funny gag for her to like feel in the moment, loosened up, like you can control this, like you're absolutely, if you have the power in a situation to have a laugh, it says a lot about your sense of control over the situation and your faith in your own competence as well. Oh, totally. And as Crab says, it's for the mental benefits. As you get more experienced, you understand how elastic work can be and productivity. And I find with Lee, you know, the beauty of this podcast is that it doesn't feel like work. She makes it easier. Like if I had to sit down and record an hour's worth of podcast in a day, just me, it would be stressful. I'd have to do all this preparation, whatever. But I know I trust Lee so much and I know exactly what we're capable of when we're together. I could literally walk onto the stage at Sydney town hall with lee zero prep and be absolutely confident that we could entertain people for an hour like right now with no prep and that is an amazing thing to have in a work partner right so much trust and admiration that you know what you're capable of doing together 
But in there, there was also some serious messaging around halting the inequality that our society has created over the next decade. I think one of the key things is inequality because, you know, the pandemic has done a lot to expose that, whether it's, say, gender roles in the home and the fact that, say, in this pandemic, all of the research shows that women have taken a bigger hit, both in terms of employment, but also picking up all the homeschooling and responsibilities at home. Even though men have been in the household more, women have still done more of the share of that kind of work. And it's, you know, we're well past time to ask why is that the case? There are plenty of guys out there who are, of course, doing their share, but the research does show a stubborn cohort where a household with a man and a woman, the woman is doing more of the domestic load and the childcare load and so forth. And so there's inequality there. There's inequality in terms of the different nature of work that people do and rich people in white collar jobs were mostly able to ride out the pandemic pretty comfortably. People in blue collar jobs who run their own small businesses less so. People who do casualised work and the casualised workforce and gig economy is bigger than ever. The jobs that we were shown that we really, really need, childcare, nurses, bus drivers, checkout operators, the, the genuine essential work. That's the work that's paid the least. They're the people that took the most risk to their health during the pandemic so the rest of us could continue to order, you know, food delivered to our door and so forth. And so I think, you know, the real challenge over the next 10 years is to try in Australia and around the world, but but if we use Australia as the example, to try to stop that gap from becoming bigger. And it has become bigger in the United States. The middle class has really shrunk in the United States over the past 20 years. That hasn't been the case in Australia up to the sort of most recent data I've looked at, which is a couple of years ago. And so we need to try to make sure that inequality doesn't become entrenched. I know, say, for example, when I was a kid, you could go to the local state school, which is what I did, and you'd get a good education and that kind of helped level the playing field a bit. You know, we need to make sure state schools are resourced so that that still is the actual case. A lot more people now send their kids to private school than when I was coming through school. So we need to make sure that's not at the expense of the public education system, because that's just, I think, an absolutely key thing for people in terms of being able to overcome sometimes disadvantage in their background. So we want to ensure that there's equal opportunity and not entrenched disadvantage for certain subsets of the community, whether it's to do with race economic class, um, social class, gender, all of those things. I, I think that's, you know, the next big challenge. I know lots of people would, of course, say climate change, which is another key challenge that we have to look at. But I think, you know, inequality is a very, very big problem. We had the privilege of talking with Daisy and Lucy Turnbull, a formidable mother-daughter combo. Here they remind us of the importance of tackling gender deafness and the need to increase participation for women and First Nations people. To mum's point of women underselling their skills, I think this this happens so much earlier than you think. Like I teach year seven history and I often say, okay, who wants to read out their answers for homework or whatever it is? And almost every student will start by saying, mine's really not very good, but. And I always say, look, one day you're going to go for a job at, you know, Boost Juice and you're going to be going for the same job that a boy's going for. And he'll be asked what his greatest weakness is and he'll say, you know, it's that he's he's too collaborative and you'll say actually I have a problem with time management you know we need to get women and young girls being confident in their abilities and confident in their own innate skills so that when they are going for jobs they're selling themselves as best they can and I think that it's a lot around self-talk and positive self-talk and for young girls especially teenagers 
it does become an issue of being rightly proud of your own achievements and and what you've done versus bragging. And girls often don't want to accidentally fall into the trap of bragging. And so they just don't celebrate their own achievements and they play down their achievements. And I think that, you know, it starts really early. Mm. I was talking about this on a panel the other day, talking about gender deafness. Now, that's something that most women, Annabelle Crabb talks about a lot. She was leading the conversation on the panel. And I actually think that gender deafness is a real issue. But I think whenever there's more than one woman at the table, and this can apply at a dinner table too, right? When a woman says, oh, look, I've got a problem or let's talk about this or whatever it is, the men often don't listen and then bring the problem up, bring that same very same in or the solution to the problem, you know, two paragraphs later, another man stands up and makes exactly the same point and the other men say, oh, that's that's really good. Well, I think that women, the other woman who listens to the woman make the point initially or the observation or finds the solution initially has to be given credit by the other woman so that the other woman says, listen, remember Shirley said that five minutes ago? Okay, thank you, Shirley. And, you know, put it in the minutes of the meeting if necessary, if it's a formal meeting, right? So that you actually don't, you, you stamp out that gender deafness thing. And I think I think that needs to happen. I think sometimes whether that happens in friends groups or family groups, you've got to stamp it out quickly. And I think that thing mum was talking about with gender deafness and the idea of that the other woman in the room amplifying and just saying, yeah, and what she said, I'm adding to that and amplifying the women in the room and that's the way it's got to happen. We finish with Satu Vanska, principal violinist at the Australian Chamber Orchestra. Having lived all over the world and speaking four languages, she brings us home with a reminder about our own duty to be open-minded and aware of our own role in these rapidly evolving times. I think there is something about, particularly in the music field or in our field, especially classical music, um, I'm very conscious of the danger of stagnation that comes through you know, like these big orchestras like the Vienna Philharmonic who had their first female player in 2003. You know, it's just like, that's that's crazy. You know, that, that's one extreme. But that world is also changing quite quickly with, you know, all these female conductors and the world is changing. But I think artistically diversifying your talents and seeing how you fit into the 21st century as a, a so-called classical violinist is we all have to ask ourselves like what's what's my place in this how am I I hate the word relevant but but it is important to ask ourselves that and how how am I making it so that it's accessible for for new or you know for newer audiences whilst keeping older and 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 therefore comes the word diversity okay I think we have to diversify our talents and our skills in a way that because as a classical musician we have a great gift in having you know hundreds of years of notated music music that is so different you know goes from early baroque all the way to contemporary and the avant-garde and everything and there's so much in between it's a great gift that we can share with the world and so we have a perspective so talking about, again, like it's a very diverse perspective that comes through this music. And therefore, it's also, I think it's important that we also create 
our own music that goes whatever it is you know people have different different styles but collaborating with different kinds of musicians who are not necessarily from our world and also writing your own music that is somehow you know whatever it is whether it's writing for films whether it's uh, writing songs whether it's you know this or that I think it's very very important for us to bring our perspective into the different type of worlds uh, that we're living in and try to get out of this aspect of our classical music world. I see that more we sort of get together and try to not just help each other but create things together is going to be helpful and we can I'm sure get the message through to the wider audience is much better than us all staying in our own little worlds and there's a place for that too but that's what I'd like to sort of advocate. What an incredible group of women we have spoken to this season and this year. It has been my privilege to talk to all of them and I hope that like me you've not only learnt something from all of them but you've welcomed the echoing of messages that they've all shared. These are not easy times we live in but these women give us hope that we can do things differently, live life a bit better, lead with heart and authenticity and create participation and inclusion for those who haven't always enjoyed it. This is the future I want to live in and the future I want for my children. One where we all have a voice, where we're agnostic to gender and race, and where we elevate the conversation to one that everyone can connect with. This episode was produced as are all Women's Agenda podcasts by the talented Alison Ho. I thank her this year for her patience and incredible skill and the creativity she's shown. Salesforce has supported this season and our thanks go to them for allowing us to bring these wonderful women to you. Thank you also to Madeline Hislop for the accompanying articles each week. Women's Agenda comes out every weekday and you can subscribe at womensagenda.com.au. We welcome your messages and texts and you can reach either Women's Agenda or me, Shirley Chowdhury, on social media. Thank you for your time this season. It's been our privilege. We wish you all a safe and happy end of year and we look forward to seeing you in 2022. Women's Agenda is proud to partner with Salesforce on this podcast series. As the world's leading CRM, Salesforce continues to be a different kind of Fortune 500 company, one that cares and gives back to the community, yet innovates like a startup. Equality is a core value at Salesforce and as a business, believes that its higher purpose is to drive equality for all. For more, visit salesforce.com.